Welcome to the Onyx Podcast. I'm this week's host, Dixie Cochran, here once again for the first time in a while with my lovely co-host, Matthew Dawkins. Checking in. And Eddie Webb. Who are you again? I honestly don't remember who you two are. <laughs> it's been so long since we were on the podcast together. It, it I, really has. I've been editing them and being like, who are these voices? I don't remember these people. Well, some of them were our guests. Oh, maybe that's why I was so confused. Yeah. Uh, and at no point did we think, well, one of these might make for an adequate Dixie replacement. <laughs> oh, thanks. Thanks. I feel special. Yeah. Not not even your son? No, no, no. Uh, almost certainly not. He has far too much. I know right? he's only five years old, but uh, he has far too much homework, other responsibilities. You've got much more free time. It's it, it's true. It's true. I, I, I certainly don't have nearly the uh, responsibilities of a five-year-old. Well, it, I, I've got, uh, there's this wonderful thing, well, I say it's wonderful, it's homework, I mean, and I, I debate whether having homework for a five-year-old is actually a sound thing, but I'm not an educator, so who am I? But there's this thing called mathletics, which is gamifying oh. maths. You basically, really? it's, it's a website hmm. with what essentially counts as a Flash game, except, of course, Flash doesn't really exist anymore. Right. And it's basically Pokemon. Uh, where you are sort of clearing the fog of war around this this world, and there's <laughs> I don't all they call the... it the fog of war. Well, in... it isn't in in mathletics, thankfully. In, in the game mathletics for children. I think it's called something like the dream clouds, and and you clear the clouds away, and there's all kinds of weird aliens and monsters and gribblies doing all these weird, fun, repetitive actions but you can find seeds that you can plant and you can choose whether you're going to plant in fire, water, metal, earth, or air, and then choose how it evolves. And of course, you can only do this if you keep doing the mathematic exercises. So it is a way of, of course, uh, compelling the child to keep doing the math so that they will see how their monster grows. It's very pernicious, but it's also, you know, a smart way of getting a child interested, I guess. I mean, I used to play, what was it, Math Rescue and Word Rescue and some of those when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I definitely had similar, you know, they were, they were games you had to purchase. Yeah. But I definitely had games that, like, you know, were, were there to teach you things. And I, I I enjoyed them as a kid because I enjoyed any game as a kid. You give me a game as a kid, I'm like, it's a video game. Yeah. Uh, I, I had one called Super Solvers, I think. I had a bunch of them. Um, definitely had a lot of the Carmen San Diego games from which I, you know, was was encouraged to sit there with my like Encyclopedia Britannica set and look up right. the location <laughs> she was talking about and stuff. So I actually learned some stuff from them, which was cool. I enjoyed it. I had just wanted like I just rediscovered a game. It's not educational, but I rediscovered a, a game that I vaguely for all playing like a long time ago. They just did a re-release of called Chex Quest. Have you heard of this? No. Maybe I'm gonna look it up. It sounds familiar. It was a a full CD-ROM game that came with Chex cereal, at least in the U.S. Um, and it was a Doom clone, but for, it was for kids, so they couldn't have weapons. So basically, you had to wander around a a, a, a compound. And zap these kind of gooey aliens to send them back to the dimension they came from because normal with, weapons with didn't work. It, the, you were the Czech's warrior, so you had a, a, a suit does of Czechs armor. Have a warrior, <laughs> I don't know, but you had a, a, a suit of body armor that like closed around your head. It was just a giant piece of Czechs, but you had like a little eye sticking out of it. 
And the reason why I noticed this is because they have made an HD remake of this game a couple of years ago, and it's free on Steam right now. <laughs> so you can actually play the updated version of Chex Quest. Well, I know I was going to say, I remember there was uh, a lot of those Doom clones. There was a uh, Christian, uh, I can't remember which really? American church it was where you were playing. I don't know if you were playing Jesus, but you were definitely playing a re- religious figure. And uh, again, the overt wait, wait, wait. violence. Are you removed. are you talking about Super 3D Noah's Ark right now? Uh, it could be, but I think that was more recent. It was done as almost parody, wasn't it? Oh, maybe. I don't know. I just remember there was a whole thing where they like ran around and like shot animals with a slingshot to put them to sleep or whatever. Yeah, you that that may actually be it, or it may be a version of it. But yes, oh uh, you had God. to hunt down animals, yeah, net them. Uh, so that would make more sense than Jesus going around hunting goats. But I don't know what he did for <laughs> thirty years of his life. Uh, you know, it's only really the last few that come yeah, in any no, great detail. I just looked it up. It came out in ninety four for the oh. SNES, as you would say. Yes, and the then SNES. all super windows. Colloquially, I mean, I just. Because Doom is ultimately about hunting demons, like you could just put Jesus into Doom and give him a submachine gun and murder demons, I guess. That's I mean... not a very Jesus-y thing to do, though, is it? Oh, and... they, they they re-released Super 3D Noah's Ark in 2014. Oh See, I, I so we're both right. I think there was, uh, yeah, that Eddie, came out. Eddie, <laughs> it's, it's come full circle at the bottom of the Wikipedia page. See also, Chex Quest. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. So, yeah. I I was going to mention, speaking of weird tie-ins, which we, all this will actually segue very nicely into our episode, I think. Um, mm. I still have my SNES. I still occasionally play it. And I do still just have the video games that I had when I was, you know, 10, 11, 12. Mm. And one of those video games that I played the shit out of as a kid is Cool Spot. Have y'all played Cool Spot? Oh my yes. god. Isn't that like kind of like a fellow clony thing? No. No, no. It's a seven up platformer. It's yeah. literally oh, the spot from Seven Up. And nice. you're collecting like seven up bottles and also spots. And it's one yes. of those games, if I remember correctly, like famously the like Lion King game and stuff, where if you die you have to pretty much start over. Yes. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, I definitely played the shit out of Cool Spot. I don't know why I liked it so much. I kinda wanna revisit it now. It's uh, from memory because I played it as well. Uh, it's a pretty basic 2D platformer, but uh, it's yeah. pretty colorful. It's got the same kind of, um, I guess, graphical integrity as Lion King and Aladdin and those awfully difficult Disney games. Um, but it reminds me that there's also a Pepsi Man video game. I don't think it was on the Super Nintendo. I feel like it was on the Sega Genesis, maybe, or the Saturn or whatever. Uh, it, it wasn't quite PlayStation or Nintendo 64 level. But so it was a game where you It was PlayStation. Was it PlayStation? Oh, okay. It so, was yes. the original PlayStation. Okay, wow. so yeah, you were just running. this In this game, you are just constantly running forwards, if I recall. You've got Pepsi Man, who is like he's got a dynamite up his ass because he's just running at full tilt and things are rolling towards him he's got to jump over them whilst also collecting pepsi bottle caps and things like that uh but yeah well they came from (laughs) no like i i've 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 got segues it's all right i'm just i'm just excited about talking about low budget media tie-in video games for a minute it is Uh, a good it is a good link 
And, and it's funny, like, um, there are also the weird bootleg, like, like, for example, there's a whole Chuck's Quest, like, community, like, there, there, people have made, like, Aww. mods for Chuck's Quest, which I think is just amazing. But um, I've seen the reverse, um, like, uh, there's this group back in the, so there, um, text adventures are having this weird kind of renaissance, and I've had it for about actually a couple decades now. Um, someone reverse engineered the engine for uh, text quest or uh, text adventures and started not only re-releasing old ones on modern machines, but also making new ones. Uh, and so there was, there's like this boom because it was very easy to make them. So there's a boom of like people making their own text adventure games. And there's a group who actually took really terrible text adventure games and added in text of people from Mystery Science Theater making fun of the game as you're playing it. Oh my Ooh. god, I love that. So it was a it was it was someone taking a free fan game and someone illegally using the MST3K property to make fun of other games. It was like the niche of a niche of a niche. Like five people knew about this thing. And I found one when I was doing some research on a project like 10 years ago, and I was like, this is awesome and terrible and awesome at the same time. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, no, I have I I I love finding those things that like I had as a kid that no one ever mentions anymore, mm-hmm. and and finding other people who are talking about them. Like I had a, a one of those Facebook memories a while back, where I I guess several years ago I like posted. Does anybody else remember Quince, which was a, like a very specific kind of doll that I had? They came mm-hmm. in sets of five. They were supposed to be Quince. They were babies, but they were really small. They were like maybe three inches tall, mm. and they were all like color coded, and they had all this stuff that was all like. Uh, you know, bed that had five sections in it, or like a crib that had five sections, or a bicycle that had five seats, and like you, you know, they all did all their things together, whatever. Yeah. And um, luckily, several of my friends who were close to my age were like, I had those, and I'm like, okay, thank God, because I feel like it's a fever dream mm. that like I had those as a kid, I loved them, they got sold at a yard sale at one point when I was like a teenager, yeah. and like I never see anyone mention them. Like, people talk about Polly Pocket, people talk about American Girl dolls or Cabbage Patch Kids, or all the other, like, 90s, like, 80s, 90s toys that I had. But, like, there's just a few of them that I'm like, I never see this anywhere. (laughs) And so I'm like, did this happen? This existed, right? And, like, with, like, Cool Spot, like, I loved that game, and I've never heard anybody else really talk about it. (laughs) Even though when I mention it, everyone's like, oh, yeah, I've totally played that. I'm like, why don't we talk about it? It's just weird how some things last in the cultural memory and some don't. Yeah. Uh, from memory, uh, does when Cool Spot walks, he does a sort of clicking his fingers thing? Yeah, no, because he's yeah. cool. Yeah, he has like so, a swagger. Definitely the one I'm thinking yeah, of. Then. Swagger. <laughs> no, he does. He's like a spot, and then he has sunglasses. Yeah. And every level, you're like rescuing an- another spot from like a little cage, and he's just cool. Like he's he's mm. he's a cool spot. I remember the music being okay. Weirdly enough, for like an SNES game. I don't know. I'm probably going to plug it into my cartridge or like plug, pl- plug the cartridge into my machine and be like, this is terrible. What the fuck was I talking about on the podcast? But here we are talking about it live. So, you know. I think uh, a lot of those, especially the 16-bit era for whatever reason, uh, those games hold up a lot better than the, their predecessors, many of the 8-bit ones, which were often janky as hell. Uh, some of them were obviously classics, as we've discussed many times before. But uh, if they weren't a classic, there tended to be very little middle ground. It was either very, very good or dreck. And mm-hmm. then you've got the PlayStation, the 32-bit era, where people really have this uh, mental block 
that prevents them from playing them. It's uh, I think I may have mentioned it before the mm. uh, that sort of retro gaming wave and Twitch streamers and people who like to do speed runs and so on. There's a huge amount of focus on eight bit and sixteen bit. Yep. but so re- much reluctance to explore the PlayStation era. And right. it's because it's early 3D and there's mm-hmm. something deeply unpleasant, uh, I guess. And just, it, you can't get a feel for it because it's everything is clipping through each other mm-hmm. and everything is made of awful, almost triangular blocks. It's so angular. Uh, and yeah, so until you start getting into the later era of PlayStation One games like the Metal Gear Solids, the Tekken Threes, you know, where mm-hmm. it's like, oh, okay, we know how to use this technology now, right? But yeah, when you look at like I don't know, um, Battle Arena Toshinden or the first, um, the first Tomb Raider at that, then yeah. they really don't feel good anymore. There's a couple yeah. of exceptions, like uh, Super Mario 64 has aged pretty okay. Almost, yeah, yeah, but that's 64 bit. Yeah, so you're going up a little oh. from 32 bit. Oh, I see. So, so I'm one generation ahead. That's, that's my mistake. Well, there is an awful lot of trash on the N64 too. <laughs> right. Um, and like Final Fantasy VII, uh, I've been playing it recently, and it's it's not great in spots. And some of the um, big, ham, you know, People with with stumps for arms and have no hands whatsoever, and mm. uh, uh, but the exaggerated acting they had to do with those very heavily polygoned characters actually, I think, works pretty well because it's, it's yeah. so it has to be over the top just to get anything across, and so it kind of adds an interesting charm to it. But you're right; it's it, it's very specific games, and also I would even argue games that you probably have a fondness for. So I think someone picking up Final Fantasy VII, the original game, cold now would be like, "What the hell is this?" Mm. Yeah, I mean, I've I've I talked about that even like recently when I tried to play the you know first Mass Effect game pr- prior to the remaster. I was mm. just like, no, this is dated because technology doesn't move so fast now that something can get dated in like a year if you're not careful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the games that have survived the best from that era are the like 2D ones, right? Yeah, those tend to be fine, or the 3D ones that were going for a really specific style. Because mm. one of the first games I ever played that looked like it was in 3d was the mario rpg for snes yeah that's true yeah and like that still looks kind of cute because it's a really specific style you know mm-hmm. um but yeah if you look at like a sprite of cloud strife from final fantasy 7 you're like what the fuck is that no, that actually, is a terrifying monster also like a, a crash bandicoot was also kind of that quasi 3d look spyro like spyro is yeah. one of my favorite games mm-hmm. from that era and it's still cute yeah. like it is still a cute game is it, you know, the best looking game? No, but it's fine. Um, also, doing 3D in, in in 2D space is always really interesting, too. I'm a huge fan of the Donkey Kong franchise. Yeah. Um, and I always have been. I found out recently that my boyfriend has never actually played those because they did not have growing up. And I'm like, I have them. I'll play them with you. They're all two player. I love those games. But yeah, I see like a huge fan of, 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 of that franchise. And that was one of the first games that I looked up on the SNES that like looked 3D. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's not technically, but it looks like it because of the way that they did all the artwork. Yeah. So what I was going to say to segue into our episode, speaking of nostalgia, things that hold up, things that don't, things that are worth uh-huh. making fun of, et cetera, et cetera, we have recently launched a Kickstarter. Indeed we have. Yeah, it's just last week. And I am super excited about it because 
I think I talk about them on here enough and also in our Discord stuff enough that most of the fans know that like I am a big fan of the They Game From games. I mm-hmm. when Matthew was first talking about them, I was like, these sound fucking amazing. I love MC3K, I love humor and role playing. Like I played so much horror for so long and I I love our horror games, but like sometimes I just want like a lighthearted, more fun game, right? Even if it's still a horror game. Like I or want that, you can like, have both. camp experience. <laughs> yeah. Right. So like loved that, loved Beyond the Grave. Uh loved working on both that and Murder Lake. Super excited. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, let's do two more genres. And like every genre has a thing you can do with it that, that I love. But we picked two of the classics. Uh, also that get MST3K'd fairly often or Rift Trexed, which are, of course, the old sword and sandal, sword and sorcery fantasy movies mm-hmm. and spy movies, because mm-hmm. there are a lot of spy movies. Uh, oh, yeah. so, so, Matthew, do you want to talk a little yes. bit about they came from classified and what people are like should be expecting out of it? So, yes. Uh, so obviously we've got classified and Cyclops' cave and... I think it's fair to say that while I I worked on both as a developer, Classified feels like my baby, and I would be quite happy to say that they came from the Cyclops' cave is Michele Marsala's more oh, than it definitely. is definitely. Oh, so much, uh, yeah. And now that's not to say I, I'm not interested. I don't love it, but I will. Ha- I will say, as all good parents should, that I do have a favorite. And for me, that's classified. <laughs> uh, and Michele would say Cyclops' Cave, I'm sure. Uh, but classified. You can from... have a cage match at the next convention, you're right. No, that's all right. You know, when it comes to the divorce between us, I'll, I'll keep classified and Michele can keep Cyclops' Cave. We'll shake hands, amicable parting of the ways. And then they can meet at summer camp 12 years later and come yeah, and back together. Oh, actually, that could be quite good fun. Or we could uh, <laughs> each train them in our own particular school of martial arts and raise them to become rivals. And obviously they will hate each other at first, but when it comes to the grand final of the tournament, and I'm on one side of the arena going, come on, kill him! And Michele <laughs> is saying, uh, poker his eye out. That's uh, my <laughs> best Italian right now. Oh, no. Um, the, the children, our they came from, will realise we have more in common than we have differences it's our parents who are setting us against each other and they will embrace and Michaela and I will share a look and we'll realize that we have a lot to learn from these kids. Anyway, this isn't a karate <laughs> movie. They, they came from the dojo. This is, uh, they came from classified and they came from classified is uh, based around one of my most favorite of media genres, which is espionage. And, now that it's interesting to me because and was very appealing to me to do classified as the third big game because we were working on classified before Cyclops's cave and it's because through my life I have been through many phases when it comes to spy movies and spy TV shows where in my teens I loved Bond. I absolutely mm-hmm. adored the Bond movies. I was really into them. I, I am full of Bond trivia even now. For whatever reason, it's one of those useless things I've managed to keep hold mm. of when I should have been studying. And I kind of went off of Bond as I got into my early 20s, but I went back to something that I was watching a lot in my childhood, which was TV shows like The Avengers of John Steed and Emma Peel, 
The Man mm-hmm. from Uncle, The Champions, Get Smart, which we did have over here in the UK, uh, mm-hmm. although not to quite the same degree, because we had our own breed of spies and private eyes. And <laughs> I was just won over again by the campness of it and the swinging 60s nature of it. And then, of course, as I got older still, I became more aware of the John le Carre spy and espionage features and novels. Uh, spy who came in from the cold, uh, Tinker Taylor, Soldier Spy, and so forth. And Mm -hmm. I really fell for them. And I started watching more serious spy features like The Ip Chris File as well, starring Michael Caine, which was released in the sort of Bond, uh, at the time when Bond was at its zenith and almost forgotten. But it's a fantastic spy feature, much more grim. And I get to the point where I'm working on Classified and I can pull on all of that, Mm -hmm. all of those resources and then start going back to the Bond films for the first time in 15 years and realise, oh, there is actually still stuff I love about these. And I had kind of convinced myself that I didn't. And I rewatched the Austin Powers movies and thought, you know, although this is an awfully vulgar and crass series, there are still some incredibly uh, funny observational humour jokes in Austin Powers. You know, and it's mm, still well written. Uh, regardless of how dated a lot of humour is now, it's still uh, a very well-written comedy, uh, all three of them uh, in their own ways. But yeah, uh, so I revisited all of it. It refueled my love for these movies and TV shows. And I think almost more than Beyond the Grave, well, probably about equal, the writers uh, of which, um, you know, uh, uh, well, we have some of the writing team present here on the Pathcast. What? What? Yeah. Uh, we're re-watching these things, just talking about them in our writer Slack channel. And that kind of collaboration, that enthusiasm for the subject matter, I think really comes through in They yeah. Came From Classified. And, and that's one of those things I love about working on They Came From. And just like for the first 15 minutes of this show where we were talking about video games and other such uh, nostalgia treats, it's I, I think it is always wonderful to talk about the things that informed your childhood and the things you love from yesteryear that you may not get a chance to do anymore. And it brings a community together, it brings friends together, and as Pathcast hosts, it brings us together because we can share in these awful memories of wonderful things. Um, So when you're working on a game, actually creating a game, and you can all be throwing backwards and forwards how much you liked this movie, and I thought this movie was better. And at one point, we were some of us were uh, ranking our favourite and least favourite Bond films, and that was good fun. Especially when Uh, you were canonically wrong about that. Yeah, well, uh, I I can actually concede that I I am canonically wrong because (laughs) I have changed my favourite and probably my least favorite since then. I'm going to keep sitting here as the person who's only seen two Bond movies. And that's (laughs) fine, because you worked on the book and you didn't need to have seen Bond. I didn't work on Classified. I thought you created um, Las Vegas. uh... I, I had the idea. You asked me to write some stuff. I got busy. I dropped off the project. They kept the character. Whoever yes, picked up my word count. So, so I was so kind I of think, on it in the brainstorming yeah, part. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, everyone threw things in. 
and it ends up with a game that you can play in either the camp mold or the serious mold, just as every other they came from. It still gives you all the quips, all the cinematics. It gives you five brand new archetypes that can easily be crossed over into the other they came from games, something that's being discussed on the Onyx Path Discord as of time of recording how crossover compatible these games are. Mm-hmm. You have the new cinematics of fiendish plots and uh, twists, which are brought over from Camp Murder Lake at mm-hmm. that. And those are ways of very easily constructing adventures uh, without, with you know, with a minimum of prep. And the twists are ways to, if you're running a multi-part story or just a particularly, um, I guess, in-depth one-shot, you can throw in a twist right in the middle of a spanner in the works, as it were. And I guess I could keep waxing on about how wonderful I think this game is and how much fun it is. Of course, I'm going to say that. But one thing I, of course, had very little control over beyond the art direction is the art. Mm-hmm. I, I can't I can't control how that comes out. All I can do is say, well, I'd like it to look a bit like this with this going on and that going on. And it's very rare that even with the best one in the world, whatever I write down is exactly what's going to come back. But Mm -hmm. in this case, I was studying movie posters and I was trying to trying to really capture what makes an espionage movie poster striking, whether it's the contrast of colors, whether it's a particular display of action, whether it's something ludicrous taking place. And the notes I passed on to Mike Cheney that he then passed on to the artist of our full page art. And I love all of the art in Classified, not just the full pages, but I do have to call out the full pages for Mm -hmm. our spy movie posters like Absolute Advantage and uh, like The Phantom Agent and The Grey Five. And if you've not seen all of these yet, uh, you will during the course of the Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The Spy Who Caught a Chill. Yeah, The Spy Who Caught Chill. I have never, and I loved Beyond the Graves full pages. I love Beneath the Seas as well. But I have never been so blown away by the quality of full page art pieces as I have for the art in They Came From Classified. A uh, mm-hmm. big salute to Derwin Talon, the artist, mm-hmm. uh, to Mike before, uh, well, ensuring that all came off as well as we wanted and i just think it is such a compliment to the book this isn't just a wonderful role-playing game that you will have lots of fun playing it is also a beautiful book and that means a hell of a lot to me absolutely yeah no that's that's awesome like i i've been impressed with the art for all the game from books and i feel like it gets better book by book and that's saying yeah. a lot because I thought Grave was amazing. I thought the I I thought Beneath the Sea was fantastic, and I come along and it's like I started seeing all the classified stuff, and I I was working at a comic shop when they redid some of the Bond comics, and so many mm. of them look like those covers, or they look like you know the, the actual old movie posters, which we were having fun posting earlier in one of our channels. Uh, just, yeah, just just for us, but maybe we'll throw some in the podcast channel uh, on the Discord. But mm. yeah, like I. It's it's so cool to see all that come together, and it makes me very happy. And it was it was interesting because like 
I remember when we, because we also talked a little bit, like uh, uh, as a as a whole team about our, because Mike was asking some questions, um, and I remember we were initially a little tough for us to dial in that that movie because I think Matthew had a very firm idea of what he wanted in his head, but we were struggling to find good representative samples initially. And then yeah. after it was done, we then found, oh, here's some fantastic examples. I wish we had these at the time, you know? But Yeah, right? Um, yeah. I remember well, we were ta- you were talking, Matthew, about, like, you know, looking for, like, strong, bold color choices and lots of, like, uh, um, a kind of... Um, and we, we started riffing on more the James Bond intros than the actual movie yes. posters themselves. Yeah, it wasn't all James mm-hmm. Bond either. I think that's where it you was know. a struggle at first because, as you say, I, I had already started writing my notes down. I already knew how they wanted to look, but I had nothing to compare it to because Ooh. I was looking at Bond movie posters and barring a couple, and so, uh, yeah, yeah, there aren't that many that are particularly striking in my view. Now, then, I think it was Rich that said, well, let's let's look at Bond movie openings. And, you know, oh, then okay. it's the gun barrel and you've got the uh, actual musical intro with the silhouettes and so on. And that started to make more sense. And I started looking at TV shows again because, of course, so much of They Came From Classified is informed by spy TV. Yeah, perhaps even more so than movies, I would say. Yeah, there's, The Avengers, there's... Man from Uncle, I mm-hmm. Spy, all that. Yeah, and their bold uses of color because of the time in which they were made. Jason King as well in Department S, which was very big over here in the UK. The Prisoner. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it was counterculture, but the characters were also working for the ministry. So it's a it was a bit of a strange blend. And it means that in the media, you get these constant contrasts. And there isn't really a better example of that than John Steed and Emma Peel, because you've got a duo. One is a very, I guess, uptight, suit-wearing, bowler hat-clad, umbrella-wielding ministry man. And mm-hmm. then you've got his adventurer colleague, who seems to be a lady of leisure who wears all the most mo- modern fashions, some of which are mm-hmm. uh, tailored for the show. Most of them are. But they often tend to be bright, garish colours, not revealing, but very much uh, channeling the era. And so it had. they had a very free and a bit of a sexual and a more exciting side compared to the stuffiness of of steed and you put them together and all of a sudden you've got a poster you've got a theme of an episode you've got dynamic and i think we've done that a lot with both the writing of classified and the art of classified it's a nice mixture of the counterculture and the stuffiness of the agency as we've called it in the game which i think is awesome and also i knew that as as most of our listeners probably know there was a lot of um sexism in the james bond movies <laughs> yeah and much much like we did with beyond the grave uh and beneath the sea we have we have attempted to excise that while having you know cheeky nods to funny things about it like it yes. is not it is not ever played straight if 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 it is in there, just like when I first read the Beneath the Sea uh, fiction, I know you were concerned that people might might not get the joke right away. Mm-hmm. Of like, of like, oh, but she was a lady scientist and she had blonde hair and she, you know, bounced perkily as she walked because because that's that's how women were presented in those movies, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we've 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 done some of the same kind of subversions and classified, 
where you know that's there because it's part of the genre but it's also there to be poke like poke fun at most certainly uh one of the easiest ways to do it as a writer or a developer is if you must have a character who is being a misogynist then you highlight the fact that they are being a misogynist you highlight their stupidity Mm You have them fall afoul of the trap at the end of the scene. Uh, you know, in some way, their incorrect conclusions uh, cause them harm in the end, and hopefully a learning point uh, if they're not outright right. killed. Right. But uh, but at the same time, you also elevate the character that they may be prejudiced against, and show that they that this man you typically uh, underestimated. Uh, this this young woman. Uh, you know, what could a young woman do with a gun that size? At which point she blows out the tires uh, in his car uh, on his car and says, mm-hmm. "I could do this." She hops in her convertible and speeds off, and he's left having to catch the bus. It's very mm-hmm. simple stuff, but it's it it kind of works to highlight the pomposity of the era. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if, if if people are going into this and they want to play the game, but like me, they are not a big Bond fan and haven't seen as many of this kind of genre of things, are there any specific Bond films, either from the you know older era or the modern era, that you would suggest people check out? So yeah, if we're looking at Bond films, uh, so this is one that's actually a really good example, I think, from the modern era, which a lot of people probably will have seen, because it it works on two levels. It's a really well-made film that's a really badly made film. And that is <laughs> Skyfall. Um, I, wait a minute. That's like the one I've seen and I like this. Yes. So I, wonder, so, what's, what's... <laughs> I, I ranked it very highly when we were doing our classified authors Bond rankings. And then I watched it again. And it was a, and you know, there are some movies you will watch repeatedly. The Big Lebowski is a pretty popular one where the more you watch it, the more you get out of it. A lot of Coen Brothers movies are like that. And Mm. of course, there's a, there's the opposite risk with some movies where the more you watch it, the more holes you notice. And to, to use Skyfall as an example, the nonsense of Skyfall. This is why it works <laughs> as a they came from classified game. Because everyone in it is deadly serious. They're poker faced for the most part. There isn't me- there aren't many gadgets there, although they, they exist in classified. There's not as much overt humor in Skyfall, but there isn't in many of the Daniel Craig Bond films. But you have a villain with frankly true Bruha levels of timing. Uh, the famous, <laughs> the famous moment is, of course, he's hanging on a ladder in a subway and is able to time it perfectly so that a London underground train comes shooting through the ceiling at Daniel Craig. He also uh. times it perfectly to uh, break into the trial where M is being judged and whether she will be able to keep her job just as she finishes reading the poem by her dead husband. You know, there's a lot of very strange timing given that he had to escape from MI6 before that happened. All of that, but that's fairly minor. What is nonsense but works so perfectly in Classified is after the point where James Bond rescues M from the initial attack by the villains and the villains just happen to retreat. Bond says uh, to Q we're going to, uh, I'll do it in my best Daniel Craig which is more like Alan Rickman let's set some 
digital breadcrumbs from London up to Skyfall in Scotland. And Q says, oh, right, yeah, I'll do that. Let's set, let's set a trail so that De Silva, or Silva, uh, Javier Bardem's character, follows them up there and thinks he will be able to kill M once and for all. Mm-hmm. And Ray Fiennes walks in and says, digital, um, digital breadcrumbs, oh, don't tell the Prime Minister he'll have my balls for breakfast or something like that. Ha ha ha, very, very funny. So then Bond gets in his car, his convertible with M. The plan is in motion. This is perfect classified. You have set out a plan. This is what you're going to do to, to ensnare your villain. And for some reason, he then drives south of London because it follows Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves geography rules. And then he drives north <laughs> of London uh, to get to Scotland. And he takes M all the way up to the estate, the Skyfall estate in Scotland. Uh, we're right. in an exciting vista-strewn chase, almost. Again, wonderful for classified. Excellent inspiration. Brilliant cars, gadgets, a nice bond, uh, not as in the character's name, a nice group dynamic there with the people back at base, M and James Bond in the car. He makes it all the way up to Skyfall, puts M in there, waits for Bardem to follow the digital breadcrumbs and for the final fight, the siege, to begin. At no point does James Bond think, if we know Bardem is coming up here, we could just not go. And we could just wait for him <laughs> to arrive, uh, watch via a satellite, and when he arrives at Skyfall, we'll blow it up. He never right. thinks. He never thinks that. Uh, he never actually say, thinks that Skyfall doesn't belong to me anymore because I was declared dead two years ago, and apparently all my assets were sold off. That's what happens at the beginning of the movie. So Skyfall is in fact someone else's house that he invades <laughs> and then has shot to shit. Not only that, when he's driving up, M, an old lady, let's be honest, he could just drop her off at a Hilton. Or something like that on the way. He could say he could say put put your feet up, um put your feet up, enjoy the sauna and the and the complimentary bottles of water. I will uh, uh, as I am James Bond, I will deal with this personally because I do not trust drones. Then uh, again, Daniel Craig by way of Alan Rickman. I will push uh, back will... on that one a little bit because she is older, but she is also the head of MI6. Like, yes. She's but got she skills. is also but she's targeted for death. And we know that Silver has a team of killers. So why mm. bother putting her... Well, either way, again, it's nonsense. But this is why it is perfect classified. Because it defies all logic. Instead of dropping her off for a nice retreat at a spa, he takes her with him, gets her killed... <laughs> Because of it, you never see. Uh, right. Well, no, I think you see her get shot, um, and she obviously dies at the end. Sorry, spoilers for a several years old movie. And there's a moving moment at the end. He gets his job back, bizarrely, despite the fact he has just got the head of MI6 murdered, and right. it. Everyone is happy ever after. And for me, Skyfall is this perfect 
con- perfectly condensed classified game where if you take the beginning with the villainous introduction and mm-hmm. you have the absolutely no reason for this journey to take place other than you want a damn good fight with the villain and you bring him to some kind of picturesque lair, whether it's a volcano, a castle in Scotland or a yacht called the Disco Volante, you do all of this for no reason you have a fight, you end up getting the person you're designated to protect murdered, but nevertheless you get a promotion for it. Share a vodka martini with the new M afterwards, maybe this was the plan all along. And credits roll. It's it's doggerel, <laughs> I think is the <laughs> word. But it's, it's so wonderfully produced. It's beautiful doggerel. So, yeah, yeah, I mean that that's that, I'm not going to do that here cuz it's not a time or place, but that sounds like my rant about the alien prequels. Um <laughs> like l- yeah. literally same conclusion. Like yeah. there are yeah. parts of them that are super effective films, but overall they are really 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 pretty bullshit. Um and that's kind of how it, like so I saw Skyfall in theaters, which if you had asked me before I looked it up on Wikipedia, I would have said was like, "Oh no, 6 years ago and it was 10." So (laughs) I probably don't remember it very well. I'm surprised it. I'm like surprising myself that it was then because in my brain, I went and saw it with my old roommate who's a big Bond fan. Mm. But in fact, I must have seen it with my ex in Connecticut. And so I don't even know what's going on with that anymore. But the point is now I kind of want to revisit it and look for all these plot holes because I never thought about the fact that it wasn't even his house. So there's even more at the in the first half of the movie, but I, you know, I can't do a full Skyfall themed episode, unfortunately. And maybe I will one day when you two aren't available. But <laughs> that, so I, I've obviously focused in on Skyfall because it's a recent one. Quite honestly, m- most of the middle era Bond films make for perfectly good classified plots. But likewise, yeah. I tend to run my I run a lot of classified one shots and I'm running a long form campaign in both cases I have just been taking episodes of the Avengers for each plot Uh, one of our pieces of art uh, for classified one of the full pages is called the electric touch where there's a lady with a silver thimble and there's some uh, electrified skeletons in the background and I took that from there's an episode of the Avengers called The Positive Negative Man, who is going around with rubber paint all over him, wearing Wellington boots, and he has a thimble on his finger that he electrocutes people with. And it's just such a simple assassination technique. You know, it well, it's simple as it is overly convoluted, it's ridiculous. But it all that is scary about him is he he's painted green, basically. He Uh walks towards people slowly zaps them with his thimble and of course he's beaten at the end because I think someone pushes him into a puddle of water but <laughs> I I've, I ran that one for um, the Red Moon role playing uh, folks uh, the the electric touch uh, mm. so yeah it's very easy to adapt existing media into a game for classified or indeed any they came from I swear to God, the hardest thing for me at Onyx PathCon is going to be figuring out which they came from games I want to play in. Right. Because I want to play in all of them. Like, if we do all <laughs> of them, I want to play in all of them. Because I really just have so much fun. Like, I have... I said it here before, and I will say it again. I have never laughed as hard during a game as I did during the one that I played with Wes Meredith and Jacob Burgess 
and Ian um, from Gehenna Gaming. My my face hurt halfway through that game. <laughs> um, I am usually okay at not breaking, and that game, and then also playing with B. Dave Walters, have made me just die, just 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 break constantly. And I am excited to play a spy and also some kind of fantasy heroine, and see if I can just not break the whole time. <laughs> because like I'm not as big of a spy movie person, but I do love a heist movie. Yeah, and those tend to have similar themes of Definitely. like make a plan. The plan is weird. Do the plan. The plan goes awry, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I've always loved a heist movie. So part of me is like, I really just want to play a heist game of Classified. That's that, that's all I want to do with my life. And that's why I know one thing that uh, Matthew and I talked about um, at one point was allowing for spy adjacent stuff to be done through Classified. Like there's yes. a, a, a detective yeah. archetype. Mm. Um, because there is a pretty significant overlap with 60s spy films because because some of the aesthetic of it comes from the 40s and 50s noir films, detective films. Mm-hmm. And it kind of gets repackaged into the 60s spy films. So I, I had made suggestions about, like, let's try to kind of give that avenue as well. Because you're right. I mean, um, the, the spy dynamic, once the Cold War ends, that kind of gets repackaged into the heist films. And you get the Ocean's Eleven franchise kind of coming mm-hmm. out of that. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, there, there's definitely overlap in terms of excessively elaborate people with action adventure aesthetics going off and doing bonkers things. Yeah, yeah and honestly, exactly. I, I I don't think I could ask for a better testimonial for they came from than what Dixie just said. I love horror games. I think everyone knows I love horror games, but I think. I feel, and maybe it's just my community of gamers, we often pigeon ourselves, pigeon, pigeon ourselves, pigeonhole ourselves as role players into a certain genre because we feel like that's what we're best at or that's the most enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And I gotta say, that, that... I, I, I have to break in for one second because when you said pigeon ourselves, I was like, now I need a villain and they came from Classified who somehow murders people with pigeons. Yeah, I think it's it's perfectly doable. I mentioned I one in the Cavaliers interview who murders one people with his glass eye. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. only yeah. only a, a step up or down. That's your decision. <laughs> um, we'll call this man the Dove. So anyway, uh, uh, so yeah, I think we do pigeonhole ourselves into certain genres, and in a way that frustrates me because sometimes I do just want people to have fun. And sometimes I feel uh, it's not for me to dictate how you role play at all, but I want people to feel like they can have fun, that they can let their hair down, like they can make their Monty Python quotes, and they can be silly at the table. And I, I recall playing a game of Unknown Armies uh, at a convention once, which is a great game, not by us, mm-hmm. it's a great game. Oh, yeah. And a and this was a convention in the UK. There's a brilliant GM who runs Unknown Armies almost exclusively. Uh, his name is Todd. Oh. I can't recall his surname, unfortunately. Hi, Todd. But, but Todd, if he listens, uh, great GM. Absolutely fantastic. And it was a really moody, evocative game. Absolutely horrific. And I kept... Oh, I didn't keep doing it. I think I did it twice. Uh, so whether that's kept or not is up to you. Um, I occasionally made an aside. Or I would do something a little, I guess, derivative. And 
And Todd, and he didn't just say this to me, he would he would just say very quietly, remember the tone, remember the tone. And then he'd get back to the game. And it worked. Mm-hmm. It was good. You know, it kept everyone on track without making people feel like they were admonished. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it made me realize I really want to play games where I don't have to abide by a tone, where I can just be silly sometimes. And yep. horror, serious yep. horror is perfectly fine too. But I think if more people gave, not just they came from, and I know the Pugmire games aren't comedy, but they are fun. And right. that is a word I want to see enshrined in games. I don't want every game to just be an experience. I want mm-hmm. so many games to be fun for people to come away thinking that was a good evening's entertainment, not just yeah. that was an evening's gaming. And that that's an objective of mine through all of where they came from, is that they always have to be fun to read, fun to look at, fun to play. And mm-hmm. so uh, I think these two definitely deliver on those. I feel like we're going to go a tiny bit long on this one because I do want to talk about Cyclops' Cave. Yeah, We can always, of course, do another episode at some point. You know, talk about it some more. But Cyclops' Cave. Give us the uh, elevator pitch here, Matthew. Well, so they came from the Cyclops' Cave was something we were considering. And then we got a pitch from Michele Masala, uh, who was, who had been freelancing for us for a little while. And it was a really good pitch uh, for a fantasy movie they came from. And we were considering whether to limit the they came from cause to three with classified as the last, but the pitch was strong enough to make us reconsider that and think, you know, that what this pairs well with ideas we're currently having. Yeah, let's Mm. do it. And so Mm -hmm. we went for they came from the Cyclops' cave, not the original title, but uh, I'm very happy with it because it evokes that feeling of epic fantasy. And Cyclops' cave is the first they came from to really break out of a an era. Uh, the They came froms are often defined by the fact that they are in the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, or what have you. Or yep. in the case mm-hmm. of Beyond the Grave, 70s and Victorian era. And in the case of fantasy, that doesn't really apply, except for some of the, I guess, Isekai fantasy movies, largely of the 70s and 80s, often where fantasy creatures come through to Earth. So mm-hmm. it's kind of reverse. Is <laughs> And Masters of the Universe is a good example of that, or a oh, bad yeah, example yeah, yeah. of that. And so this was... Uh, we weren't looking at a historical period so much as a period of movies and TV shows and assorted media. And it ended up being quite broad because fantasy is a pretty broad church and changed substantially from the 1930s or thereabouts to what we have now. And there's a point at which fantasy started really getting recognized as uh, quality. I mean, it's still pretty dubious if you look at the Oscars or the Emmys. Fantasy, along with comedy and horror, tend to be seen as lower standard than Mm -hmm. dramas you know 
but fantasy when it came to Lord of the Rings, arguably, that's when the Lord, that's when fantasy movies started getting taken more seriously. Big budgets started being dumped into them. That I guess Harry Potter to a lesser degree. The novels mm. buoyed those movies, one could argue. I mean, say for Lord of the Rings, but Lord of the Rings movies stood up well on their own right. I, I think there are a lot of people like me too who have seen Lord of the Rings and have never managed to read it. I get a third of the way into the first book and I'm like, there's no women in this book. I don't care mm. about what's happening right now. I'm going to go watch it instead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm not a big fan of Tolkien's writing, honestly. I think some of it is beautiful, uh, but some of it, for me as a reader, is just not enjoyable. And mm. But anyway, in terms of the movies, that left us with a very broad zone. We didn't want to get into solidly good fantasy with Cyclops' cave. So we didn't want to get into Lord of the Rings because right. any traditional fantasy game theoretically can do that. Plus, the One Ring RPG exists. But <laughs> everything right. up to that, which ends we thought around Hercules and Xena era, so mid-90s, mm. and that's when things started turning quite nice. We so we kind of start with epic fantasy with Sinbad, the Odyssey, and so on. In 1930s, everything black and white, sometimes silent cinema, ending up in ancient Greece with Hercules and Xena, with sword and sorcery in the middle. Sword mm-hmm. and sorcery being that late 70s through to early 90s, I guess, grim fantasy of the Conan, sword and the sorcerer, Kroll, yeah, Hawk Krull, the Slayer. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm brand and we've managed to somehow and again testament to Michele, testament to the writers on Cyclops' Cave we somehow managed to make both work. We've got epic sword and sandals and grim sword and sorcery blending together. It's all swords isn't it? Never axes but it's all blending together in Cyclops' Cave in a way that I really enjoy. It's a game I got to read as a well player and a director, I contributed to it as well as a writer and a co-developer, but because McKaylee was handling so much of it too, I got to start looking at a They Came From game as a punter, almost, as someone mm-hmm. who could lift this up and think, I don't remember this bit, this is really good fun. And so where Classified plays around with some of the camp conventions of spy movies and some of the gadgets and some of the stuffiness and so on, Cyclops deals in a large way with the hamminess of fantasy, with the special effects. One of my favorite features of Cyclops' Cave is Mm -hmm. that magic exists in this game. This is the first they came from with uh, magical effects. They are basically cinematics, and they are pretty much purchased the same way. The only thing is, they are not. They don't have a variable price based on the, I guess, impactfulness of the spell. It's how many special effects are required to pull this off, because this is a movie. Mm-hmm. So an invisibility spell is a very cheap magical effect because all you have to do is put in a frame where your actor isn't present anymore. If you want to launch a fireball, well, now you're playing with pyrotechnics. That may cost you three rewrites instead. And we've got loads of these spells as magical effects that you can use in the course of the game, uh, which I think is really an elegant way of handling a magic system in They Came From Mm -hmm. uh, without adding spell lists. So 
it's yeah so it deals with the ham it deals with the epic grandeur of it all um the wooden acting in some ways there's a, the similarities with beneath the sea in that regard uh i very much get the feel that uh cyclops's cave is going to have more gibberish <laughs> in than any of the they came from it's because it's fantasy your characters can declare all kinds of nonsense we've got quotes by by the moons of Amunkara, by the sun of <laughs> you know you're just going to be speaking fantasy drivel right. because the some of that best worst fantasy that we read and watch will have a character saying uh, i am ludicrous sextus uh i emerge from the kingdom of of zarnel under the tyrannous rule of the god Ubar, and you know, and they'll just say all this rubbish, and you're supposed to buy it. And this is what a lot of p- critics of fantasy say. I remember when fantasy wasn't taken seriously, and mm. it would always be, "Oh, where's he from? The planet Zog," kind of thing, right? Mm. And we do that, but we're doing it affectionately <laughs> because it is nonsense, it is crap, but it's fun crap. <laughs> <laughs> they came from it's fun crap yeah get to play with crap but it's fun <laughs> i mean that's, that's the thing though is like if you are an appreciator of cheesy tv or cheesy movies or whatever which i think almost everybody is is the stuff that you know of course forever people call them like guilty pleasures which i think is stupid um because mm. if you like it don't feel guilty about it unless it's actively harming somebody else that's that's literally yep. how i feel about it right. um cool it enjoy i watch a lot of things that a lot of people would consider fluff uh, and that's great. And like, I was a big fan of Xena and Hercules back in the day before I knew about Evan Sorbo. Um, right. So I'm a big fan of Xena still and Lucy Lawless. <laughs> and I'm just going to keep that going. Lucy uh, Lawless is great. Yeah, yeah. So mm, like, I, I'm looking forward to playing in that world. Like, I, I love the worlds of mythology, which of course a lot of those old fantasy movies were very heavily based on like Greek myth and things like that. Yes. And like, I've played Assassin's Creed, Odyssey, and Valhalla, and I loved them. But also, I think it would be fun just to poke around. Like, my biggest memory of Xena is the musical episode with mm-hmm. one of the bad guys singing "Always Something There to Remind Me" by Naked Eyes mm-hmm. on a lyre. That's that th- that kind of thing happened. Yeah, there were right. also really really serious moments in Xena, and that's what makes a lot of these movies and TV shows so good. I mean, even if you want to look at something like 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 Buffy, which I talk about all the time, yeah, like it's got some super super serious moments and some incredibly hilarious moments. There's a lot of Xena in Buffy's DNA, yes, or yeah. vice versa. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of similarities there. And I just like having that levity to break it up. I was just thinking uh, the other day about Night of the Comet, um, which I, I, have y'all seen that Night, Night of the Comet? I have. Oh, okay. Uh, so Night of the Comet was the direct inspiration for, for Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, it's a movie from the mid-80s, late-80s. Uh, and it's about, like, it's 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 also technically a Christmas movie, which I love. It's a horror Christmas post-apocalyptic movie um, starring a cheerleader. Um, <laughs> wow, that's but, like right, right before Christmas, there's a comet that's going to happen. And, it, it, like, this, this comet hasn't passed this close since the extinction of the dinosaurs 65 million years ago. So it's, like, a big, big deal. And it passes, and most people either turn into dust or become zombies. <laughs> And then you have our plucky high school age heroines, one Mm. of whom is in a neon pink and blue cheerleading costume the entire movie, which I love. Nice. 
it's a fun movie. It's it's not perfect. It's from the late 80s. It hasn't aged amazingly in all respects. Right. But like that movie has a lot of levity to deal with the fact that they're also doing things like, you know, fighting zombies and stuff like that and that everyone's dead. Um and that's that's something that I enjoy in my media is 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 having that that humor to balance the horror cuz like I love a horror game, but you know, you always hear stories about people coming away from playing you know, Wraith or Changeling having had an amazing experience, but not being like, man, that was a blast. We should ha, 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 do that again, you know? <laughs> right. Um, they are interested in the story, but I mean, it is the difference between watching like a, a, a legit horror movie and watching kind of a bad one. Yeah. Like, I'm watching a legit horror movie. I'm like, I'm I'm tense. I have adrenaline. Like, it's, it's, it's good, but I'm not like cracking up the whole time. And if I'm watching even something like Scream or Scream 2, which I have recently rewatched, uh, I am I am laughing because there are jokes in them. Yes. And that also makes, I think, the killing more effective because if you're if you're laughing and then suddenly you're like, oh, murder's happening. Shit. Uh, that's that's a more effective scare than if you're already kind of tense and then murder happens. And you're yeah, like, well, yeah. I was tense. I was expecting it, you know. I think uh, well, one of the things I particularly love about Cyclops' Cave is the scenarios in the back. So I think in all of the Came Froms now, we've added two scenarios. I think Murder Lake has one, but it is a source book. Mm-hmm. And the two scenarios uh, at the rear end of Cyclops' Cave uh, cover the first one, uh, does cover the, I guess, sword and sorcery, magical weapon, monsters to slay. It's going to feel very comfortable with people. It's a lot of fun. Uh, However, I have a special place in my heart Mm -hmm. for the other scenario, which is a love story. And it's got an ancient Greek feel. The gods get involved. There's a couple that have offended the gods. They aren't player characters, but basically they are destined to always essentially miss each other. Uh, They want to get together, Mm -hmm. they are fiancés essentially, but they can never be in the same place at the same time because the gods have cursed them. And so the players, characters, uh, the protagonists are tasked by this ill-fated couple to perform the trials that the gods have set for them to re-earn their favour. And so there's a series of, I think, three trials for each god. Uh, one for each god, I think, is Ares, Apollo, and Aphrodite, uh, mm-hmm. uh, from memory. Uh, and of course, that plays into the story path. Uh, you've got physical, you've got social, you've got mental. Mm-hmm. And at the end of it, you can get this couple together. And it isn't a scenario where there's a big boss at the end that you have to slay. It's not a scenario where there's loads of treasure to be had at the end. So, it, But it is still fantasy in a way that sometimes it takes romance-themed role-playing games like mm-hmm. Blue Rose, which is a great game, to actually put romance in a fantasy game. But this game isn't a romance game, but it has a romance plot in this scenario. And I just found the writer's work, uh, it was Christina Horner on this uh, scenario, uh, was just so perfectly Hercules and Xena. It felt Mm. like an episode of Hercules and Xena where the heroes, for no good reason other than they are nice people trying to right wrongs, decide they're going to risk their life and limb to get this uh, ill-fated couple together. It it feels like a mid-90s fantasy TV show. 
and I love it. Yeah, and and it's got humor in it as well. Of course, uh, elements of the curse are frankly silly, and the gods are of course incredibly hubristic and and pompous. Again, you get that in Hercules and Xena too. But yeah, uh, it's just a really fun and pleasant scenario that doesn't leave you thinking, I wish I hadn't massacred that village of uh, goblin children. <laughs> right. right. Mm. That's one thing I really loved when the, the we were talking about the initial pitch for Cyclops' Cave because it would be so easy to do a D&D parody game because mm-hmm. like we talked about, uh, uh, genre fantasy has become so ossified in the past 20 years into this is the Tolkien style of fantasy and that's what you get. Um, but like one of the most iconic fantasy films in the world and culturally is stuff like the princess bride. Mm-hmm. Oh you know? yeah. That's one of my favorites. And the stuff you're talking about, Matthew, like that feels much more like princess bride than like say a D and D quest. Also yes. talk about like a funny, quotable adventure that happens to have kissing in it right like Mm -hmm. it is a game of swashbuckling i still maintain that if you like the movie and you haven't read the book you need to read the book because it's so funny Mm -hmm. um i think it's way funnier and you get anigo and fezzik's backstories which if you want to know why they are the way they are it's nice um but like i it's it's so funny because I never think of that when I think of fantasy movies but it's so obviously a fantasy film I know but I think of it when I think of like 80s cult movies that became right. really popular on VHS, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, and it, it, it's so weird that for some reason, The Princess Bride, when I think about, like, all my, all my, 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 my favorite fantasy movies, it never, like, slots into there. Yep. Even though it has been one of my favorite movies since I was a child, which probably most people around my age listening to this have, are, can't identify with that on some level. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. it was on TV constantly in the early 90s. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think uh, one of the things that's most remarkable about The Princess Bride is how few characters die because it is it's swashbuckling. There's a lot of sword fighting. There's a lot of mm-hmm. threat of lethality. But from memory, I think what two characters die uh, because you have. Uh, it's been a long time since I've seen it. Yeah, uh, who poisons himself and the six fingered man. Uh, but even the um, what's his name, Sarandon. Um, Humperdinck, Prince, Humperdinck. Prince, Prince Humperdinck. Humperdinck. Yeah, he doesn't die. He's Humperdinck. 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 Yes. yes. <laughs> uh, the torturer, I don't think, dies. You know, there's a lot of knocking people out. There's a lot of um, embarrassing people and making them think better of their choice, their life choices. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that. You know, fantasy doesn't have to be all about murder and leaving a trail of bodies behind you to prove that you're the best warrior in the land. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can instead be the best dread pirate Roberts in the land, which right. is a much more aspirational <laughs> title, I would suggest. Yeah, it's right. actually really interesting to, to, to think about that in, in context of The Princess Bride specifically, because like you could technically say that Wesley dies. Yeah. If they kill him, yeah. but then he's only mostly dead. Um, <laughs> and also technically people die off screen because Prince Humperdinck is kind of a warmonger and there's mm-hmm. also lots of references to dead people like Inigo Montoya's father's dead it happened right. before the yeah. movie but mm-hmm. he, he's dead and we're very aware of that fact um, the former you know Dread Pirate mm-hmm. Roberts is, is at least retired we don't know what happened to him since then uh, so yeah like there's a lot of like I think because it is like casually mentioned so often I mean what is the most famous quote from that movie right come on right. 
Everyone knows it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, you killed my father, prepare to die. Yeah. Yeah. So because the word die and death and stuff is is uttered so constantly, I think I didn't even realize that there was so little death in the movie. Mm. Uh, Because, yeah, like. It gets mentioned constantly. They 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 take him to the the zoo of death for that Prince Alberticas. There's the whole mostly dead conversation with Miracle Max, and then yeah, like it's 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 so weird to me to think that literally there are only two deaths in that movie. Huh? Uh, and I think I that really want to play wonderful. the Princess Bride now. I really want you to play run that. <laughs> well, movie. they came from the Cyclops's cave is the perfect game because not only that, among your archetypes, you have the Inhuman. Which I guess Andre the Giant's character. Uh, yeah, Fezzi, I guess Fezzik would be yeah. the closest. Yeah, yeah, he would be an ogre-like character. Mm-hmm. Um, you have the puppets. I don't remember any puppets in Princess Bride. But yeah, not really. The puppet is actually my favorite archetype in Cyclops' Cave uh, because there are so many. Um, including Masters of the Universe, went back to that one. God help me. Oh, um, I was going to say, I am 1,000% playing Orko in a game at some point. Yes. Or, he was my yeah. favorite when I was a child. Wow. What? Uh, I liked He-Man. Uh, no, it's, liking He-Man's fine. Liking Orko is questionable. I Orko. was a child. <laughs> he was a funny... He was the comic know, relief in He-Man. I know. He probably had more dialogue than Adam. Anyway. Uh, right? <laughs> Uh, but yes, uh, so yeah, I, most of the archetypes, I'm just thinking through them in my head now, uh, with Champion and Scoundrel, and we've got six archetypes in Cyclops' Cave compared to the five in each other, each of the oh. other uh, they came from. Nice, and nice. I think Princess Bride is, yeah, is well covered, so I'm going to have to put my mind to this now. And see if there's anything, any obstacles that could be placed in your way of uh, running the Princess Bride or a world, <laughs> a game set in that world. I don't think. Yeah, I mean, you're going to run the story because the players are going to go off and do their own thing. Like otherwise, you're just acting yeah. out a movie. But like, yeah, I just like the idea of doing something like based on it. You know, call it like you know the like the like Princess Pride is the name of yes. the scenario. There you go. Well, uh, it's yeah. it's one of those fantastic movies where you can break down pretty much every scene into a role playing scenario. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Again, especially in Cyclops Cave, if you're climbing a cliff, you can you know you know what checks you're going to be doing. Uh, if you're in a duel, if you are in a test of wits, mm-hmm. if you are trying to you know if you will have a magical potion that brings you back from death. Um, and then you're storming a castle, and so on and so forth. You know, there's it. This all fits, and it's strange. I've obviously thought of Cyclops' Cave in through the lens of a lot of different movies, and uh-huh. it's only until this conversation that I've really started thinking, "Oh, okay, this is kind of the Princess Bride, the role-playing game." But I'm good with that. I like that a lot. Right, and that's kind of why I brought the point up is because it's not tied to a decade. You're right, but. The 20th century fantasy was a pretty distinctly different beast from what we think of fantasy now. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's specifically for gamers that's somewhat confusing because we you play D&D all that time, you're not realizing that your version of fantasy is not actually the generally accepted zeitgeist version of fantasy. It's only been since the Lord of the Rings films where mm-hmm. the rest of culture is caught up to that particular perception of fantasy. And so putting a fantasy game on the market that's not only easily approachable but also is not a D clone is genuinely interesting yeah also I mean, yeah 
Sorry, and you have Jessica. to say just for just for legal sake, a saying that's a different game for the Princess Bride is in no way meant to infringe on Toy Vault's The Princess Bride RPG. <laughs> we had a successful Kickstarter a couple of years ago. No, but. no, not at all. Not at all. I'm sure it's a beautiful, <laughs> wonderful game. Uh, but yeah, you, it's a game that also enables you to go hunt down the Golden Fleece or um, sail between uh, Cherubidus and Scylla or makes or allows you to have a um, three-pronged sword from which the, the middle one you can fire hmm. as a projectile weapon. Uh, as in Honestly, the Sword and the Sorcerer. There, there's... You, could even, you, could, you could even use it to play like Wuxia fantasy films. Mm-hmm. You know? Wuxia, yep. but yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you. Sorry. I, I... It's all right. Yeah, yeah, th- th- those that that genre of fantasy films, it, what I've seen of them tends to channel that kind of almost earlier age uh, of Western fantasy films, where it's like you know, it's over the top acts and mm-hmm. very mythic tr- feeling tropes and you know big grand gestures and magic that's mm-hmm. whatever we can get across with the limited budget we have yeah. for you know. Chinese television or whatever. Which, yes. which, which combat-wise, we actually cover really well in Assassins, if you want like a, a serious version of, of, of that, right, or, yeah. or, or Exalted. But when it comes to, yeah, just having to be like fun and kind of silly and, yeah, frankly, quite low budget. Like, I am I am excited about this. I I have not read Cyclops' Cave yet. I really hope there is, you know, some kind of trope or cinematic about being able to see the wires on something. Like, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just excited about this. And I'm excited about... Uh, how this Kickstarter goes. I'm also excited about just kind of at the end here because we are over time. We're doing an, an extra long episode because we're doing a double feature Kickstarter. Ha 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 You could have had an intermission in the middle. Yeah, right? Um, <laughs> let's all go to the lobby. But what I was going to say was like, I'm also really excited, obviously. Most people here have probably heard about this already who are listening. But we are uh, working a little bit with MSC3K in that we have sponsored their latest season. Um, and that means that they're doing some cool stuff on the Gizmoplex, which will be open to the public, I think, in May. Last time I heard. Probably in the next couple months. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that means that we have a really cool they came from dot com splash page now that like links to their stuff. And also I'm just so excited to maybe get some like new folks on this game. Because I think there are a lot of folks who would enjoy role playing, but a lot of people still really only know about dmd and like maybe pathfinder and a lot of people don't know there are humor games out there or there are games that are sillier you know yeah that don't punish right, it, you for being silly yeah and, and i mean and i think that's one of the reasons why they came from is so great is because it allows people who aren't necessarily steeped in the the built-up tropes of tabletop role-playing games and they're like, oh i've seen movies like this and then because they're comedic games if they make mistakes or if they steal blatantly from tv or movies they've seen mm-hmm. that's actually part of the experience and that's fine it allows yeah, them to fail and and learn how this stuff works in a very low risk way well like it is mm-hmm. it's, it's it's supposed to be trippy yeah like that's, that's the whole right. point so like yep. if you get if you go into a slasher game going i know how this is going to go there mm-hmm. are going to be five of us we're probably going to get picked off maybe npcs will get picked off first at the end, there will be hopefully more than one person standing, but we'll see, because that's how a slasher movie works. Like they 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 break it down in the first screen movie, um, and so at, at that point, you're just doing the experience and also seeing what like points it can surprise you at, which I think is very cool. Like I know how most fantasy movies work because I know what the hero's journey is. So yeah, let's just see how we get there. Right, take a wild ride. Exactly. 
Indeed. So with that, we'll go ahead and wrap this up. Uh, Matthew, where people find you, follow you, and is there anything final that you want people to know about either of these books or this Kickstarter? Well, let's think. Uh, so they can find me on matthewdawkins.com. They can also go on theycamefrom.com, as Dixie has advertised. Excellent website designed by uh, our very own Dixie Cochran. Aw, thanks. And uh, it's a wonderful stop to visit, uh, so you can pick up your own They Came From games. But that aside, you can also find me on Twitter, at DawkinsMP, and on the Onyx Path Discord. And the last thing I will mention about these They Came Froms is, other than please do back our Kickstarter. Uh, one thing I didn't mention was in Cyclops' Cave. Uh, this one also has fiendish plots as a cinematic, but it also has fantastic settings. Ooh. Fantastic settings as, in other words, you can start creating your world with cards as well, or what's just over the horizon. So you can make nice. for a truly epic fantasy of the uh, ancient Greek variety where inexplicably just over the seas you have a desert kingdom and then just over that sea you're on a frozen mountain wait so so can you randomize this as well because if so that got yep. that, 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 that's that's even more princess bride because they go from like the ocean to a cliff to like a rocky plane and then suddenly they're in the swamp, swamp yeah like fire swamp <laughs> and yeah. it's like like I can imagine someone turning over a card that says swamp and turning over a like complication card that says fire they're like yes. fire swamp it is what's in the fire swamp I don't know big fucking rats like <laughs> yeah that's what they're called uh... <laughs> I mean that's what I would have called them had I written Princess yeah. Bride but William Goldman is a better writer than I am that's true wow <laughs> Ow. <laughs> I mean, it's just true. Have you written The Princess Bride? No. I mean, it's better writing than all of us. Has, has William Goldman written Overworlds for Fly on Demigod? No. By that logic, I'm also a better writer. <laughs> William Goldman hasn't developed a tabletop role playing game unless, you know, somehow he developed the, the Princess Bride RPG, in which case I'm sure it's fantastic. But he has written <laughs> several really good movies. Right. Well, either way, I'm done. Move on. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> also, for what it's worth, William Goldman did pass away four years ago, in case anyone is wondering if he developed a thing. Anyway, uh, Eddie, Aww. where people find you, and is there anything that you're looking forward to about Cyclops Escape or the Double Feature or Classified? Um, well, if, if, if I if I survive this experience after horribly insulting my co-hosts, um, you can find <laughs> me on Twitter at Pugsteady, P-U-G-S-T-E-A-D-Y. You can find me online at Pugsteady.com. And Honestly, I, I am looking forward to both of these games because they're both really intriguing me, but also I'm looking forward to mashing them up. Like I already have ideas on how to mix um, Beneath the Sea and Classified into a Men in Black game. So yes. I have in these directions. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I'm, and you I'm can get excited. the G-Man from Beneath the Sea into Classified. You can get the Aliens from Beneath the Sea into Classified. It all mm -hmm. merges very, very nicely. Yep, yep, yep. I think we should also import exactly one random everyman into Cyclops' cave so we can do a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's court. Oh, there you go. Yes. Know. Well, and, <laughs> and I was saying on Discord, I know this is really overrunning now. Uh, I've been running this classified campaign for a while now. And one of the players, one of the players is a survivor from Beneath the Sea. Uh, it was actually a character they were playing in Beneath the Sea. And mm -hmm. we no. just classified and we just decided it's the same character because why not? At wow. the very least, it's the same actor, and this actor can't perform any other roles <laughs> other than a grizzled uh, 
cabin dwelling survivor that for some reason isn't classified. But we also have a mystic from Beyond the Grave because it's a character like Solitaire and Live and Let Die. Um, because Live and Let Die has that um, well voodoo element to it, but yep. and fortune telling and so on, and yeah, that fits into classified just as well. So yeah, uh, you can cross these games over to your heart's content; they will never break. I freaking love that so much. Like just a classified game with like an inexplicable puppet. Yeah, that might be harder to justify. <laughs> yeah, but it'd be funny. It would be a robot. Like... That's the thing. You could do it. You could easily do yeah. it. It would be a, a talking drone, or it could be um, yeah, Q branches. Um, th- this will be backing you up, double O, and you'll get a robot <laughs> rolling in saying, I am at your service, agent. Can I use the puppet trope to play Kit from Knight Rider? Can I play a talking car? Uh, no, but Matthew did a tasty bit for vehicles. <laughs> well, but there, a talking car. You can play a talking car if you want, but getting into buildings and upstairs may be tricky, the, sure. unless you want to also be a transformer. Uh, <laughs> That's ooh. a different game. And now, now you're talking about a game. Eddie's gonna like this episode's gonna run 15 more minutes while Eddie <laughs> talks about transformers. They came from games. Nope, nope. I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> they came. They came from mechs. They came from Cybertron. No, well, as no. as everybody can hear from how legitimately excited we get about every single idea we have for these games <laughs> we are all super excited about them it is one of those things that like i first had the idea and i was like that could be cool and then i played it a few times and i'm like this is amazing it makes me so happy um partially because you can just get a little gonzo with it and i think that a lot of my time spent playing things like D is me trying to rein in my gonzo nature when i want to be that way because i got jokes and i'm having a good time uh so having an outlet for all of that is is super super fun but yeah you can find me most places at dixie cyanide on the discord on twitter on instagram etc you can find us pretty much everywhere at the onyx path and as always many worlds one podcast